You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Let's go back to 1996. The X-Files were fresh and popular. The nightly AM airways were ruled from the desert compound of Art Bell. And in the tropics, a new menace troubled ranchers, a blood-sucking animal known as El Chupacabra. Before it became the go-to explanation for every mysterious animal corpse, the chupacabra was a serious threat for poor, hardscrabble ranchers who feared this blood-sucking monster and what it could do to their livestock. Fifteen years have gone by, and the chupacabra has become a punchline for many people. Hairless dogs are hardly the stuff of nightmare. But Ben Radford remembers the original claims, the strange, hairless humanoid creature which seemed to have amazing powers of leaping, flying, and more. Inspired to get to the bottom of it, Ben worked for five years to find out what was behind the story, and now his findings are available in his newest book, Tracking the Chupacabra, today on Monster Talk. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Dog. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and together with Ben Radford and Dr. Karen Stolzno, we look at the science behind monster stories. This week, it's just Ben and me. Karen is out sick, but hopefully we'll be back in the podcasting saddle very soon. 
Our interview today is with Ben Radford, a regular co-host on our show, and the author of several books on monstrous topics. Today we're discussing his latest, Tracking the Chupacabra. You can get a copy of his book at radfordbooks.com or check the show notes at monstertalk.org. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk. Today we're going to be talking to author and Monster Talk co-host Benjamin Radford about his new book. What's your new book called, Ben? It's Tracking the Chupacabra, the Vampire Beast in Fact, Fiction, and Folklore. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, it's awesome. I spent a lot of time working on it. So I, I you have. You have. I, 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 since you, you shared some of your research with uh, myself and Karen and uh, uh, Daniel Oxton as you were working on it, it was kind of fun to see it all come together, and now you've got your book. So I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm proud of you. Good job. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's, as you know, in, in skepticism, a lot of times, uh, the, the, uh, the thank yous are, are, are not forthcoming. You usually just get the barbs from the believers who are pissed off at you. So it's, it's nice to get a couple pats on the back, especially for, for skeptical words. So thanks. Well, you know, as a, as a writer, it's also good to see somebody finish something they started. So that's always nice. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's easy enough to start. I mean, I've, I've started, you know, dozens of, of articles and books and, Finishing it, that's that's the rub, as they say. It is. So how did you pick the Chupacabra as a topic? That's a, a great question. I uh I think that um I think that I was intrigued by it for a number of reasons. The the, the first one was that it seemed to be a relatively recent monster. Uh, of course, you know, as you know with with the case of, of the Loch Ness monster, uh, the the sightings themselves only date back to about the nineteen thirties, but the the the, the supposed uh, mythologies behind it uh, date back much earlier, depending on who you talk to. The same with Bigfoot. Um, you know, that's really only been around since about the 50s, but uh, they, they sort of roped in wild man stories and, you know, Native American mythologies and stuff. But in the case of the Chupacabra, uh, that didn't really exist. It would just sort of suddenly just popped essentially out of nowhere uh, in the mid-1990s. And so I, w- I was intrigued by that uh, because, of course, real animals don't just appear out of nowhere <laughs> you know you don't just say you know a an unknown dragon-like creature suddenly appeared over you know boston's you know uh stadium or something so um that was one of the things that, that really intrigued me and then also of course the fact that it was a, a vampire um was interesting to me and so there were and also the fact that i speak spanish and uh, i've traveled extensively throughout latin america um so it was kind of a, a confluence of many different factors that led me into the mysterious realm of the chupacabra. In your words, a vampire is anything that drinks blood. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Basically, anything that either repeaters drink blood or or, uh, or does in fact drink blood. What does it look like? What does the chupacabra look like? The original version. I, I, we'll talk about the fact that there's more than one form of it, but. Well, the, the original version of the Chupacabra, um, and I, I can get into the original witness a little bit later on, but the original one was uh, a bipedal sort of man-like creature um, between three and five feet tall uh, with had um, large red or black alien-like eyes, sort of like the, the alien wraparound eyes you often see depicted on the, on the, on the grays, for example. Um, it had a, a very distinct... The, the, what's that? The gray aliens for... The gray aliens, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, it had a very uh, distinctive uh, row of spikes down the back that were described as either sort of feathers or spikes or, or feathery spikes. Uh, it had long claws, long fingers. Um, uh, some some people said it had wings. Uh, but basically, uh, that's the original one, and, and then there were sort of spinoffs of that. 
So uh, when you look at that, that's sort of the original eyewitness uh, account. And then within um, about, uh, well, within a few months, actually, other people started reporting uh, sort of variations on that theme. And I can talk a little bit about that if you want. One version of it is humanoid. Yes. yes. And, and what's the other version? Well, the other version is is canid, uh, you know, for what the dog-like animals. Canids uh, include everything from uh, dogs, foxes, coyotes, and things like that. Um, and these are they basically just look like uh, essentially hairless, uh, probably mangy um, um, dogs or coyotes. Uh, they're four-legged. Um, they have the prominent canine teeth, um, and uh, that's. That's the other version, uh, and it, it's interesting. You, you sort of you can actually create a, a timeline on this because the original chupacabra uh, was mostly seen. Uh, the, the one I previously described was mostly seen around between about 1995 and say 2000, uh, almost exclusively in in Latin America um, and a couple other places. And then the type two chupacabra, uh, the the sort of the what I've called the Texas chupacabra, appeared in about 2004 to the present. So there was this. There was this this interesting sort of timeline where the chupacabra definitely morphed uh, forms and 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 you know essentially changed uh, changed what it was and what people were interpreting. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. It, it, it sort of just popped out of nowhere in 1995. Um, did it come with an origin story, or did it just come with the sighting and the origin stories came later, or how did that work out? That, that's actually one of the most fascinating parts about it. Uh, when I was researching the book, I, I went to uh, Puerto Rico and I interviewed several people there and did, of course, a lot of research on it. And um, what's interesting, you have to look at, at the the, uh, the social and cultural context um, in which these sightings emerged. Uh, what happened was that um, by say um, in in the early in early 1995, there had been reports of mysteriously uh well, there have been reports of, of things that the animals that were said to have been mysteriously drained of blood uh in different parts around the island of puerto rico and uh it, it hadn't really sort of turned into like a fever pitch fear or hysteria but there there was there were rumors and gossip of you know some sort of unknown vampiric creature that you know there would be it would have attacked some goats in one part of the island or some chickens here or there um and uh, and the, um, the the tabloids, in fact, there were uh, two main tabloids in Puerto Rico, El Vocero and El Nuevo Dia, uh, and both of those were sort of like the equivalent of the National Enquirer, uh, and they loved these stories. <laughs> As you can imagine, every time that you know some farmer in some remote place said that he had you know dead chickens or goats, they dispatched a reporter and they got you know very gory, gruesome, dramatic photos of, you know, of these, these dead animals laying there and the farmer talking about how mysterious it was. Uh, so a lot of this was actually fueled by, by tabloids uh, and, and sensational press at the time. Um, uh, but nobody had really seen uh, the creature. There had been essentially up until um, August or so uh, of, of 95, um, there, it was all just sort of rumors and gossip and sort of some sort of vague thing that may or may not have been attacking things. Uh, but it wasn't until August uh, that, uh, that there was actually a, um, a face and a, and a whole uh, description of the, of the creature. Uh, and that's, that's sort of where the original one came from. Who gave it that face? That was a woman named Madeline Tolentino. 
Uh, hers was the original description of the chupacabra that became world famous. In fact, if you if you do a Google image search for chupacabra, you, you'll find a lot of it different images. But there's one primary image that sort of has again this this um, alien like uh, creature has spikes down the back, big uh, has large eyes, um, sort of fangs, almost no nose, uh, and and bipedal things like that, and. Um, that that was her original description, and interestingly enough, the uh, the, the original Chupacabra reports, including Miss Tolentino's, uh, was originally investigated, and I'm using I'm using scare quotes, I'm using air quotes around investigated uh, by UFO buffs in Puerto Rico at the time, and almost almost all of the original uh, reports and investigations, uh, such as they were, were by. UFO believers um, and tabloid reporters. So there was little or no real scientific skeptical investigation done, certainly in the 1990s, and, and I would argue up until essentially <laughs> the time I wrote the book. Um, but that's that's one of the interesting elements to it. Yeah, so I know there's sort of a folklore aspect to the Chupacabra. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've read uh, accounts that... It was an alien. It was an alien's pet. Uh, mm-hmm. It was uh, an, a hybrid creature created at a secret genetics lab underneath the uh, observatory down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Arecibo, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so yeah. <laughs> again, this is this is another fascinating aspect to it. Is is why are all there the all these origin stories? Uh, there's I can I can I'll give you the top say three or four. Um, one of the most popular ones is exactly as you said that it was an alien's pet. That uh, there was the, there's a connection to extraterrestrials and um, UFOs and and aliens had been visiting um, the island of Puerto Rico and elsewhere, of course. And they, I guess, sort of opened the door and just their pet <laughs> ran out into the wilderness and they called for it, Chupacabra, Chupacabra, and never came back. And so uh, since that time, it's been living uh, in the El Yunque Forest. Uh, so that's one story is that it, it's it's an extraterrestrial origin. Uh, another, uh, another, the other main um, explanation for it is that it's the, it's the result of top secret U.S. government's uh, genetics experiments, um, especially particularly in in the um, in, in the El Yunque uh, rainforest, which is uh, not too far from the capital of San Juan, and uh, and so uh, for 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 many people, El Yunque, this this sort of jungle like again rainforest area, it was thought to be either the origin or the end or the home of the chupacabra for, for many people. Uh, other people believe that the chupacabra was uh, the source of the AIDS epidemic. Uh, that AIDS was created by the chupacabra or by extraterrestrials uh, through the chupacabra that were going to try and depopulate the earth. Also uh, had a time machine. But- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, re- remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, there's um, chronology. Yeah, chronology is- yeah the, the, the chronology. Uh, uh, other people, for example, uh, believe that the chupacabra was uh, was a portent of Armageddon. Um, I did some research uh, for the book and I was kind of came across uh, a couple uh, fundamentalist Christians who have written that uh, the chupacabra is referred to uh, in uh, in the battle of um, in descriptions of Armageddon, uh, for example. Um, so you've got you've got this sort of interesting end times theology. Uh, there's a, a a guy named uh, James Lloyd, uh, who's the founder of the Christian Media Network Ministry, and he talks about uh, how um, 
Revelations 9, uh, he, he claims, describes the chupacabra. And he says that the chupacabra is, in fact, a, a militarized weapon uh, created uh, by, the, by the U.S. government um, that's you know, going to be unleashed on, on evildoers or something. Um, to me, uh, having done several interviews on the topic uh, of uh, genetics uh, and genetic manipulation here on Monster Talk, how different real genetic research is from the sort of fantasy version that the conspiracy-minded <laughs> public comes up with. Uh, you know, in in the fantasy world, anybody can just build anything uh, in, in you know, remote labs. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With, and it's like they, they have – it's not just a funding issue. It's the, uh, it's the fact that they bring these things to life and then let them go. You know, <laughs> what else are they too, right? I don't know. It's just a little odd. Well, you know, so there's these these stories about the chupacabra, the humanoid version. Does the mm-hmm. uh, the the when the type two uh, canid chupacabra comes onto the scene, does it does it get an origin story, or I don't, or why is is there any folkloric explanation for why they're calling these chupacabras? Um, that's that, another good question. Uh, I think that uh, the, you don't really find as much of the origin stories behind that version of the chupacabra. Partly because in the other, the other distinction you have to understand between the sort of type one and type two chupacabras is is nobody has ever found a type one chupacabra. Uh, basically, again, the the, rep, the the humanoid or reptilian or kangaroo with wings or I mean, there's a wide variety of descriptions to it. Um, these are have only been cited and reported. Uh, they've never been photographed or anything else like that. The the type two type. Uh, the Taichu chupacabras, what I would call the, the Texas uh, chupacabras. Uh, in these cases, we we have a dead body. Um, the, this is you know we we actually have a physical specimen. And again, this this also distinguishes it from, for example, a Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, a uh, Mothman, uh, dragons, unicorns, you know, uh, mermaids, except of course the Fiji mermaid, uh, and other things like that. Uh, in which these are you know we have no hard physical forensic evidence. In the case of the chupacabra, allegedly we do. We've got you know half a dozen or so um, uh, dead chupacabras uh, that can be examined and, and tested. So um, I think that partly because uh, there is uh, there is you know the, the the hard you know hard physical body uh, that sort of detracts I think from from the folklore behind it. Well, do you want to talk about some of these uh, cases where they found these bodies? Sure, sure. I mean, there's there's been about um, again about a half dozen or so. Um, the the original, uh, not the best known, but the original. The, I think, as far as I know, the first chupacabra report in terms of a, again the, the type two um, chupacabra, the, the canid type, uh, came from August two thousand in the uh, in the in the village of Mapasio, Nicaragua. There was a, a farmer named Jorge Talavera. Who uh, it's kind of a long story. I won't get into the details here. You can read it in the book. Um, but basically, he uh, he he claimed that some animal was attacking his uh, his his uh, his his uh, livestock and goats, and uh, he finally got tired of it. And he said, "I'm going to I'm going to catch this damn thing." And so he and a ranch hand camped out overnight, and um, and they sort of waited and waited in the, in the cold darkness. And finally they saw one or two, he, the descriptions vary, he's not sure if there's one or two, but one or two um, sort of four, four-legged monsters, basically, uh, that he interpreted as the chupacabra that were attacking his, his animals. He, he shot at them, he, he hit one of them. 
uh, and then it sort of ran off into the darkness. A couple of days later, uh, his ranch hand uh, was uh, was walking around uh, a remote part of his ranch, and he came across uh, some vultures feeding on a carcass. And uh, it was basically reduced to a skeleton. I mean, there was a little bit of meat behind it, but it was essentially a skeleton. And uh, he said, well, this, this, this must be the chupacabra. And uh, the story then made national news, international news, in fact. Uh, and reporters were calling from, you know, Japan and Italy, you know, and, and, you know, New York wanting to find out, you know, had we found the chupacabra? Because, again, this was, this was the very first time somebody had claimed to find an actual body of the chupacabra. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing. And I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Um, again, it's, it's kind of a long involved story, but basically, uh, he had, uh, he, he asked, uh, the local university to, to examine the remains. Um, and, uh, they came back, uh, dog that, uh, it was not in fact an unknown creature. It wasn't a vampire. It was, it was an ordinary dog. Um, and he, he later disputed this account and claimed that there was a conspiracy behind it, <laughs> that they had actually switched the, uh, they actually switched the, the bones. Um, but that was that was uh, the first uh, found body. Um, probably the the best known is the, is the Quero chupacabra in, in Quero, Texas, found by a woman named Phyllis Canyon. And uh, I investigated that uh, in part along with the TV show uh, Monster Quest um, in, in 2008, and that was where um, the, this woman this woman um, uh, found a, a, a dead uh, type two uh, chupacabra, you know, four legs, uh, hairless or nearly hairless, uh, near her ranch, and uh, she, uh, you know, she, she went into it and, and examined it, and uh, she ended up um, having some DNA tests run on it uh, by um, Todd Disatel, among others, I believe, um, and uh, that came back coyote. Uh, and uh, as with uh, Mr. Talavera, uh, Phyllis Canyon was not happy with this with this uh, this DNA result and disputed them. She asked for a second set of tests, which were done, uh, and it, it it came back essentially the same, but the with the added caveat that there may be some some wolf in it, some red wolf. Again, in, in all these different cases, you have you know somebody finds a dead weird 
thing, basically. Uh, and if there's a body there, then then someone says, "Oh, I wonder what this weird thing is." And then oftentimes they'll they'll go to the internet and they'll do a Google search for weird you know weird monster in Texas, and the chupacabra will pop up, and they'll say, "Well, there it is," and that's <laughs> it, it must be the chupacabra. Uh, or other times, um, oftentimes, particularly in Texas, ranch hands, Spanish-speaking ranch hands, often will uh, will uh, will call it the chupacabra because again, so the the chupacabra originally, uh, of course, the chupacabra means goat sucker in Spanish because it's supposed to suck the boat the blood out of goats and also livestock and cats and chickens and, and other things. But over the last say ten or fifteen years, the word chupacabra has basically come to mean anything weird, any unusual creature or anything else that somebody has found that may or may not have any actual relevance to blood sucking or vampirism or anything else like that. So again, there's other ones. There's the Blanco, uh, Texas Chupacabra, Elmendorf. Uh, there were a couple found here in New Mexico uh, and elsewhere, but uh, those are, th- those, those are a couple of the highlights. Unlike Bigfoot or Nessie, or actually most of the monsters we talk about, this is a vampire creature in its original form. Mm-hmm. Um, where does that come from? Where does the blood sucking come from? Well, the because, blood suck- because it sounds like it actually predated the actual sightings. Yeah, that's, again, another fascinating aspect to it. Uh, what you have to remember is that, is that with the original reports, uh, when you're looking at the, the original reports from, for example, uh, early 1995 Puerto Rico, uh, the people weren't calling it the chupacabra at that time. It was just something is attacking livestock and we... It appears to be drained of blood, and we think it's weird and whatever else. And it wasn't really until um, until around August or so uh, that, again, in August was when the, the first person actually saw the creature. At that point, everyone's like, "Oh my God, this is what people have been this is what people have been have been seeing and reporting, and, and you know, this is what's attacking the animals." Um, Tolentino herself didn't, uh, as far as I know, didn't actually call it the chupacabra. She didn't come up with that name. I think she just said, "I saw something weird." Uh, and other people, you know, inter- put the chupacabra label onto that. Um, so again, there was definitely a vampiric aspect to it. Uh, that was a, essentially its signature um, form of predation. I mean, that's that that's what that is, and that's that's what the chupacabra does. It, it sucks it sucks goat's blood. Um, in, in in my book, I, I I put it within the context of other vampires around the world. And so, for example, I looked at. Uh, at uh, the European vampire and the stories of, of the story. I looked at the European vampire and the stories of the, the creatures that were said to uh, drain blood or other bodily substances uh, from the living. Uh, they were oftentimes blamed for bad things happening. Uh, and I also looked into, for example, African vampires uh, and, and some of the um, stories of, of vampiric entities and creatures and, and sometimes people, oftentimes uh, white people. There's a strong element of, of xenophobia and fear of foreigners in vampire stories in general, and and specifically in, in the Chupacabra as well. And I also go into um, other Latin American vampires, such as the Likichiri uh, creature, which I investigated in Bolivia, uh, in Peru, which uh, which sucks the fat out of people. Um, so there's 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 a whole so the Chupacabra really fits very well. Uh, within the context of other vampire uh, claims. And so that's why I spend um, a chapter or two in the book talking about that. Well, you'd think a vampire that sucked fat would uh, come to America, not Peru. You would think. Uh, 
I've written about that extent. That's a whole that's a whole different subject, but it, it definitely it definitely feeds into the whole chupacabra story. What's your book like? What kind of style is it? And um, what describe it a little bit for the for our listeners. It, it was a little bit tricky trying to figure out how I was going to cast it. I spent about five years researching it and and about a year or two writing it. When I finally felt that I had I had investigated the chupacabra to the best of my ability. You know, I had looked at all the carcasses uh, as many as I could. You know, many of them I, I physically went and personally examined. Um, I, I went uh, looking for uh, the chupacabra in, uh, in Nicaragua, in the jungles of Nicaragua, for uh, for about a week, um, a couple years ago, and sort of doing an actual field expedition uh, out, you know, physically looking for it, not just sort of sitting back um, in, in my armchair, but. So it, it was it was a little tricky trying to decide how I was going to present all the all the um, all the different stuff. And so what what I tried to do was I basically tried to uh, bring some science to the whole thing, but also keep some of the interest and the mystery to it. So I talk about uh, in the first in the first part, I talk about the history of, of the chupacabra and you know what is it, where did it come from, what are the stories behind it, uh, and then I go into the folklore behind it because. Um, a lot of times, when you, no matter what monster you're talking about, whether it's Bigfoot or Nessie or Mothman or, or Springheel Jack or what have you, there's a there's a rich tradition of folklore and and stories behind it. Uh, that's not to say that these creatures are necessarily uh, mythical, um, because there may be folklore around you know real existing animals as well. But um, but to really understand the chupacabra, because so much of it did seem to sort of trace back to folklore. I talked a little bit about the chupacabra in popular culture, um, in, in how, how people perceive it, again, getting into the different theories behind it. You know, is it the source of the AIDS epidemic? <laughs> is, it, is it a portent of, of the end times? Uh, is it an extraterrestrial? What is it? Um, and then in the, in, the, in the middle part of the, of the book, I, I talk about searching for the chupacabra and, you know, actually going out and looking for it. And again, getting into uh, the the the, uh, the the time spent in the jungles of Nicaragua, looking into the, the, the dead uh, chupacabras and the carcasses, and exploring some of the stories behind those. Um, and then in the last part, uh, I, I sort of bring it all together, and I, I bring the reader back to to the original questions of you know what is the chupacabra? Could it, could it actually exist? Could it suck blood? Could the animals that have been found, you know, the, the, the so-called type two Texas chupacabras, could they have sucked blood? Could, could they be the, the chupacabra? Uh, and I sort of get into the more the forensics and the, and the, the, um, the, the um, I get into the forensics and the, the biology and, and, and the folklore of it. So uh, I sort of structured it as sort of a mystery uh, to be solved, sort of, you know, hey, here's this interesting mystery. Uh, let, let me bring you along as we sort of look at all the different aspects of the Chupacabra and figure out, you know, c- could this be real? Um, so that's that's sort of how I tried to structure the book. Well, if someone buys the book, do you actually have the solution? Is there an answer to the mystery of the Chupacabra? Yes. Really? Um, yeah. And, and I, I, as a as an as a writer and investigator, I. I am very cautious about uh, making statements that I can't back up just because I'm, I'm used to being sort of questioned and attacked and prodded, uh, you know, about some of the claims. And so I, I, I do not take, uh, I do not take it lightly to say that I believe I've solved the mystery of the Chupacabra. Uh, I absolutely believe I have. Um, I think that uh, somebody who reads the whole book, who's, 
who's open-minded about it. I mean, if you're, if you absolutely will not be convinced that the chupacabra does not exist, then, you know, nothing I say or write is going <laughs> to, is going to change your mind. There's no, there's no evidence that I can present that will, will, will change your mind on that. But um, I was very careful to sort of piece together all the, um, all the elements and all the evidence and arguments. Um, and um, I, if, if, if there's any, let me put it this way. If there are any remaining questions about the chupacabra, uh, I'd be happy to, to to field the questions from from readers or listeners. Uh, again, if there's, I'm not being facetious. If there's anything you don't understand, let me know what it is because I can explain it to you. Um, so uh, yeah, and that's that's actually one of the things I find most interesting about it is that um, you know it's one of the very few. Uh, high-profile solved mysteries, in, in my opinion, and you know, of course, readers can judge for themselves. But um, uh, that, that have really come out in the last, you know, few decades. Really, uh, you know, there's lots and lots of. I mean, I, I could never claim that I had, you know, solved the mystery of Bigfoot or solved the mystery of, of you know, lake monsters because there's too much out there. There's too much information. There, you know, are too many reports. There's too many aspects to it. But in the case of the chupacabra. Um, because it's only been around for about 15 years, there are finite reports. There's only so many carcasses. There's only so many witnesses interviewed. There's only so many, there's only so many aspects to it. And it, it, it can be a very complex and nuanced investigation, but ultimately uh, it's sort of packaged all in one piece. I mean, there, there's, there's finite information on it. And because of that, that's, to, to my mind, what made it solvable. Uh, your book will end the parade of pathetic, hairless animals that are being called chupacabra by the media. I, I'm sure it won't. <laughs> I mean, that was, uh, you know, that's this is this is always the problem that that you know skeptical investigators have is that you can you can put forth explanations for things, um, and you can do your best to try to explain and solve them, but ultimately. You know, people are. It doesn't matter how many times you you search Loch Ness and don't find anything. People are still going to think that there's something in the lake. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you you uh, you search for Bigfoot or anything else. Uh, there's always going to be the the believers who say, "Well, it just wasn't in there, or whatever else." Um, so what I tried to do for my book, recognizing that the the mystery was going to continue no matter what I said or wrote, um, I included an appendix in the book, Appendix Two in which uh, the, the title of it is called How to Identify a Chupacabra. And uh, that, to my mind, uh, was my bid to try and keep my book relevant um, to 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now, so that if future uh, investigators, researchers, or anybody that finds some dead animal, if, if they really believe that they found the chupacabra, I have a list of 10 criterion, 10 questions to ask, um, about that, that, you know, if you, if you think you found the chupacabra, um, you, you know, go through this list and, you know, is check these off and see if, if in fact, you know, it, it fits the criterion of what, what a chupacabra must be in, in order to exist. Um, now, if it passes all these tests, that does not conclusively prove it's the chupacabra, but it certainly would go much, much farther in terms of establishing scientific credibility and validity of the creature. So I know there's sort of a special treat for Mustard Talk listeners. You've given us uh, an audio book uh, rendition of the first chapter and uh, the intro. So that should be in people's iTunes feed. But where can people actually find your book? Well, the book is actually uh, – it's, it's, it's out. Uh, I don't know that it's, it's 
physically in bookstores yet. It, it'll probably be in bookstores in the next week or two. Uh, you can also go to my website, uh, which is chupacabramystery.com. Uh, and uh, I have the book for sale there. Uh, I think I include free shipping and I'll autograph it. I'll even throw in some little cute uh, freebies and photos and little Chupacabra-related uh, paraphernalia, as they say. Um, so you can get it there. You can get it at Amazon.com. Uh, better yet, you know, go to your local independent bookstores and, and order it there. So, um, as you know, as a co-host, uh, we often ask people what their favorite monster is. What's your favorite monster right now? Well, I, I hate to do the cop out, but honestly, my favorite monster is the Chupacabra. I, I Lame. Spend, <laughs> I, I look. I, I spent five years searching the damn thing. You know, I, I uh, it's it is. I, 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 it's um, it's just a fascinating, fascinating mystery. Okay, um, why, just okay. Why do you think it, it captured so much of the public imagination? I mean, it was discovered in 1995, or if you want to call it that. And then by the end of 1996, uh, they were filming an X-Files episode about it. So mm-hmm. how, how did it become so popular? Well, there's a couple reasons. Uh, one was that, um, that it was fueled, uh, as, I, as I touched on earlier, uh, by, um, by tabloid press and sensationalism. Uh, you know, the, every time that an alleged chupacabra was cited or, or believed to have, have attacked some animals, uh, the tabloids were all over it, you know running big, you know, red headlines, chupacabra attacks, blah, 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 and photos and this and that. So uh, a lot of the information that, that many people, particularly many Puerto Ricans, were getting about the chupacabra, uh, say, in late 1995 and, and 1996, uh, was very sensationalized and dramatic and exaggerated. Um, and it's a, it's a... It's a cool creature. I mean, it's like it's this alien-like, blood-sucking beast that you know that's uh, supposedly attacking things, and and who knows? Uh, you know, it might attack people next. Uh, so that was part of it. So uh, it really, it really jumped into the public consciousness after a uh, a talk show called Christina, uh, which is essentially the the Hispanic uh, or the Spanish the Spanish language version of Oprah did a segment on the Chupacabra in 1996. I think that was around March or so. And all of a sudden, like everyone is like talking about the Chupacabra. They're seeing the Chupacabra. There's just, it just, it just exploded after that. And, and also um, the, the internet um, uh, again in 95, 96, uh, just after Tolentino gave her, her description and, and the most, the most popular uh, depiction of it went out there. It's, it's suddenly it's on the web and people all over the world are, are seeing it and reading about this, this mysterious new monster creature vampire thingy uh, in Puerto Rico. And um, it just, it captured the public's imagination. It just, you know, it was the, it was, you know, a Bigfoot was old hat. Nessie was even older hat. <laughs> um, and Hey, who, who wouldn't be excited by this, this creature. And so, as you pointed out, um, Within several months of it, of it uh, sort of jumping international borders and being cited in other places, uh, the, the screenwriters for the X Files were were banging away on the script on that, um, and uh, and you know making making the most out of it. You sound like you're actually seriously passionate about it, so I assume that was not a cop out answer about your favorite monster. <laughs> no, I, I I mean I again it's uh, it's just. It, it's not a cop out answer. There's just there's just so much to it. I mean, everything from you know, I, there's no other other cryptozoological creature that I can think of 
um, that, you know, is, is so involved in, you know, conspiracy theory and, and vampirism and eyewitness problems and, and testimony in different forms and different shapes. And, um, there's, there's just so much to it. I, uh, yeah. I was going to say in, in, uh, in the late nineties, um, when, uh, coast to coast AM was really at its peak. Sorry, George Nori. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I mean, the, uh, the, the Chupacabra stories coming in, uh, and, uh, the internet was, uh, really taking off as a, a, a place to kind of share these kind of, uh, stories of monsters. Uh, there were some downright creepy tales of, uh, people in, having these encounters with the Chupacabra. So mm-hmm. I know, I know what you're talking about. I, I think all of these, um, um, hairless dogs, uh, have kind of diminished my, um, joy uh at the mystery side of this creature but uh hopefully your book can help me sort of recapture that at the same time uh give me some answers so i'm, I'm looking forward to reading my comp copy my free comp copy <laughs> <laughs> it's it's on the way it's on the way no but i mean it's uh you know again in terms of uh in terms of what i solved about it i mean uh, i'll just touch on that briefly which is that you know, different parts of the Chupacabra story had sort of been touched on or or examined by other investigators as well. Uh, for example, the vampirism aspect, uh, sort of you get into uh, UFOs and animal mutilations and things like that. Um, but the, the, the central mystery to my mind, after after having researched it for, for a number of years, the final mystery was, where did it come from? What What was its origin? Uh, even though it seemed unlikely that this was an actual living, you know, biological creature, the question still was, okay, well then, what the hell is it? You know, if if if, the, if it's if it's not real, um, and, and you know, it may or may not be. I mean, it's, you know, anything is theoretically possible, but if 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 all if most of the evidence for this is, is very dubious, then then what what is you know what is attacking these creatures, and and where did it come from, and. Uh, you that, know, I, that's, I, that's the, that's the question that you answer in the book. It is, it is. Uh, it's also, uh, to be fair, it, I, I do all, <clears throat> it is in fact, uh, to be fair, I do include a section in my uh, scientific paranormal investigations book. Uh, I think the last chapter in there is about the Chupacabra. And I, I also in there talk about, um, my, my discovery of the Chupacabra's origin. So it's, it's not a huge mystery. It's, it's a little bit of a mystery, but, uh, it's it's out there for people who want to look for it, and um, you know, again, I, I hope that people will uh, will even if they don't believe that I have totally solved the mystery. Although I think most people will, even if they don't totally believe it, I hope that they'll recognize that I did the best I could um, to examine and understand and explain it. Uh, and if if I'm wrong or if I've mischaracterized something, or if you know tomorrow they find a chupacabra, that's fine. I, I, I'll be the first to, uh, to eat crow and, and, and go examine it. But, uh, <laughs> until then, um, well, I, I think, I think this one's case closed. Well, thanks so much, uh, for sharing this with us. And I look forward to reading the book and, uh, wow, what a productive year for you. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and you know, of course I, I couldn't have done as much with, uh, without monster talk. I mean, this has been a, a great experience and just, uh, dealing with, uh, you and Karen and, uh, and all our fans and listeners, it's it's very rewarding to um, have people have have such interest in 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 our in in our shared passions and our our fascination with these monsters. So it's uh, it's very cool. Well, thanks a lot, Monster Talk. Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. Today we heard about Ben Radford's latest book, Tracking the Chupacabra. 
You can find a link to buy his book in our show notes or go to radfordbooks.com. If you check your Monster Talk feed, you should see a free audio sample from his new book preceding this episode. If you like it, please share it with your friends. Monster Talk is produced with the support of Skeptic Magazine. If you like critical thinking and science, you should give it a read. Music for Monster Talk is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. And thanks again for listening to our show. For more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skeptic, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit skeptic.com today. And never came back. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.